Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 2nd, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, the Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, The Heart of the Matter, Anger, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Enjoy. I want to backtrack real quick to the final statement we read from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, because really that sets the context in which this next conversation Jesus has with the crowd. Chapter five, verse 20 says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, Jesus says this in the context of a big crowd and over here there's probably a group of scribes and Pharisees who are listening to this and thinking, huh, I wonder what he's going to say next. Then there's a crowd looking over here to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite, the examples that they would look to, the people who lived life the way it was meant to be lived. People were looking at the scribes and Pharisees thinking, huh, there's a righteousness I can have that exceeds theirs? I wonder what Jesus is going to say next. And what follows, what we're going to look at over the course of the next four weeks, um, the next four weeks are going to build on each other, so I'd encourage you, try to be here the best you can the next four weeks in a row. Over the next four weeks, we're going to see Jesus make six statements, six statements, and each of those statements is going to follow the same formula. He's going to say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, this teaching that they would have been familiar with, but I say to you. And what we see is Jesus drills down and gets to the heart of the matter instead of just the action that the people are struggling with. We are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. Let me read it. And then we'll pray and then we'll see what God has for us today. Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 21 says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you were going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we recognize this morning it's your word that's been spoken, and God, we trust your word over our tradition. Uh, We trust your word over any ritual. We trust your word over any other way of life. God, we believe this morning that your word is authoritative for our life. We believe that if we disbelieve the word or disobey the word, it's the same thing as disbelieving or disobeying you. So God, I ask that you would give us grace this morning, that you would help us understand the truths that are in this text. God, I ask that you would open our minds so we can know you more, open our eyes so we can see you, open our ears so we can hear you, and ultimately open our hearts so we can respond and love you. God, everything we do in this place, we do for your glory and your glory alone. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Five points in your sermon outline this morning. The first four are going to serve as kind of a flow to lead us through the passage. And then the fifth 
is going to be what I hope is a helpful application. And after that, we'll have one final call to action. The first point we see in the passage is this, the old command. The old command. We're gonna see Jesus go back to this over the course of the next four weeks. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. This is what he begins with. He says, you have heard it said, and they were familiar with these teachings, by the way. You have heard it said to those of old. Now, some translations say this differently. Some of them say, you have heard it said from those of old. Others say, you have heard it said to those of old, when really the idea is inside of both. What you have said was both commanded to the people of old, but what you have heard it said is also from those people you have heard a similar message. We see in Mark chapter seven, that's something Jesus has against the Pharisees. He says this, he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man. The Pharisees liked to do this. They liked to oftentimes depart from what the word of God said and then they had their own thing. They'd take God's word and then have all these goofy applications of how people should then live it out and a lot of these applications were rooted nowhere in the scriptures. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. Now in this case, you have heard it said, the thing that they're saying is true. It's all over the scriptures. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Now we're probably pretty clear on this. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Is anyone questioning that this morning? Like we're all on the same page there. Three of you are shaking your heads. Some of you are like still thinking about it, right? (laughs) You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is the, the teaching all over the scriptures. We see it in the beginning of the Bible. We get to the beginning of Genesis. God creates one family. They've got two boys. What happens with the two boys? One murders the other. We get to Genesis chapter nine, verse six, up on the screen. God says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is one of the many reasons why it's wrong to kill because you're killing the pinnacle of God's creation. All other creation is good, but mankind is the only thing that God created and said, let us make them in our likeness. Let us make them in our image. Let man be like me. There's an aspect of humanity where we are like God and God says, when you take that away from somebody, when you're taking their life, when you kill them, you're killing the most precious thing I've ever created and the judgment for that is death. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, pretty clear. It's one of the big 10 commandments, um, not suggestion. It says this, you shall not murder. Now, what we're talking about here is is premeditated murder. We're not talking about self-defense. This isn't talking about the death penalty. It's not talking about anything like that. It's talking about the unlawful, unjust taking of someone else's life. You shall not murder. Jesus says, you've heard it said to those, you shall not murder and those who murder will be liable to judgment. Numbers chapter 35, verses 30 to 31 says this, if anyone kills a person, again, if anyone murders a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness because they need someone else to back up the story. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. The scriptures are super, super clear. Don't kill people, people. Don't be a murderer. Now they're familiar with this. This is the old standard they're acquainted with. The standard is don't kill. 
But Jesus is like, what kind of standard is that? Is that the standard by which we judge success or the standard by which we judge whether or not we had a good day? How was your day, honey? Didn't murder anyone. It was great. How you doing, man? You know, I've been good. Just haven't killed anyone lately. That's not a good standard. How's your relationship with God? Great, not liable to judgment. Haven't been put to death because I didn't kill anyone yet. So Jesus takes us, as you've heard it said, then that's, that's still the case. We still shouldn't murder, but what Jesus does is he dials it in. He gets to the heart of the matter. The standard is more than just as long as I'm not killing people, I'm treating them good. No, there is a way in which we can take someone's life without actually taking their life, and that's where Jesus goes next. He gets to the heart of the matter. We see the new code. We saw the old commandment, now we see the new code. Verse 22 says this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. This is also to judgment. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He says it's not just about the externals going on here. It's not just about the actual murder of someone. It's also about what's going on inside. It's also about what's going on inside of your heart. The, the point that he's making is, yeah, murder is murder, but anger is murder. Hatred is murder. Insults are murder. First John chapter 3, verse 15, you can write it down because it's not on the screen. It says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hatred equates to murder. Now, why is anger such a big deal? Why would Jesus drill down on angry on anger? Why would Jesus say, kill someone liable to judgment, anger with someone also liable to the same judgment? How does this work? Well, we talked a lot in the office this week. There's this weird word. It's gestation. You've heard gestation before. We often talk about gestation like a baby, the growing of a baby, conception, growth, then they actually have the kid, like there's this whole gestation thing. James 1 talks about that same type of thing, but when it comes to our sin. James makes a statement that God tempts no one, but then says this in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right, when you're lured and enticed by your own desire, let me be honest with you real quick. I've never been tempted by a carrot. You know why? Because carrots are gross. I've never seen a carrot and been like, oh, I've got to have me that carrot. Because I don't desire carrots. But pizza and donuts. Right? This place wrecks my diet every Sunday because there's just tables full of donuts. And that's my desire. And because that's my desire, the temptation is there. That's coming from within. It's the same thing Jesus is saying here, that anger is coming from within and works its way out. That's what James says with how this works. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. 
Desire left unchecked and desire left to grow and run its course gives birth to sin and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Anger left unchecked, anger left to grow, produces death. James chapter 1, 19, verse through, verses 19 through 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Read this with me. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That is so contrary to what we see in our world today. This is an outrage. Everyone's mad all the time about something right away. It's like we don't even have a fuse. We just, wow, explode. We see something we don't like. We hear something we don't like. And we feel like it's our position and our right to just explode and then just tell everyone how angry we are. That's not the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to speak. To anger. And you know, slow to speak, um, I would expand that to slow to text, to slow to type, slow to Facebook, slow to tweet, slow to email, slow to tone. That's the way we communicate. Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to communicate, slow to anger. You know, a prayer I've been praying often with my kids is that God would lengthen my fuse. That God would give me a longer fuse. Because what I realized in my life, the people I'm angry at the most are the people I love the most. And oftentimes it's the external situations that have nothing to do with my wife and nothing to do with my kids and they get the brunt of it. You know what this is like, moms, dads. You go to work and throughout the day your fuse burns down. Right? And because you're at work, you can't yell at your boss because you'll get fired. Right? You can't freak out on your employees because that'll just disrupt the peace of your office space. So what do you do? The fuse burns down and then you get home and bah! Then you let it out. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I referenced Cain and Abel earlier, the first brothers in the world. One of them killed the other one. Genesis 4, 6 to 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Now, if we can recap the story real quick, Cain and Abel both brought an offering to God and God liked Abel's offering more than he liked Cain's offering. So Cain got angry about this. Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Anger is something that dwells in our heart. It's something, it's one of our desires and whether it's a righteous anger or an unrighteous anger, anger will happen and God says you must rule over it. That's not the case with Cain. Cain was angry and Cain's anger did the same thing that James 1 says will happen. Anger grew to hatred and hatred led him to act on it and when he acted on it, it led to death. Ephesians 4.26 says this, be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't just be angry about something for so long. Now, I love that it, it, it validates that you are going to be angry. Some things in life will, will, will make you angry. And in fact, some things in life should make you angry. There is such a thing as righteous anger. If someone treats my child poorly, I should be angry. If someone treats a widow poorly, I should be angry. If someone treats an orphan poorly, I should be angry. If I see someone sin against a brother, I should be angry. If I see injustice going on in the world, I should be angry. Because all of those things are contrary to what God wants. We see Jesus get angry in the New Testament. We see him in the Gospels. There's these money changers outside in the temple courts and their job was to make sure people had the right thing to sacrifice and they were taking advantage of people in the temple courts and turning a large profit on it. So what did Jesus do? He didn't just respond in anger. He actually went and sat in a corner and braided a whip and then went, flipped tables over and cracked the whip. Jesus was anger, angry in a righteous way. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then he moves to two other things. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. There's two different words he says here. He says, whoever insults, it's the Greek word raka. It's like a local term that they use. And it's not a term of endearment. It essentially means empty head. You idiot. You are so dumb can't believe you're that stupid. Jesus says when we use those words, we're liable also to judgment. We're liable just like the murderer. We're liable just like the angry person. Any of you who says, you fool, it's the Greek word moros. What's that sound like? Moron. You moron. You know, you are just, you're just stupid all the time. It's who you are. It's not just sometimes you act like this, but moros is like, this is just who you are. You're just this way. Now, sadly, I think Christians speak like this as well. This isn't something reserved only for the world. This is something we all struggle with. Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So maybe you've, you've said something rude to somebody, and you say, I didn't mean it. See, but Jesus says, you did, though. That thing that came out of your mouth, that's actually what's in your heart, and you just hadn't sanctified the thought yet. Or maybe you've, you've been so angry before and you just acted out in this anger and you're like, I didn't know where that came from. That kind of scared me. I've never seen my, that side of myself before. Or maybe you've said something before and you're like, I'm sorry. That just, it just came out. Jesus says it came out because that's what's inside. That's what's 
in our heart. And that's the problem with this. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter, not just the action of murder, but the heart of what's going on inside. Jesus says you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Hell here is the word for Gehenna. Uh, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll, you'll be familiar with this place called the Valley of Hinnom. It's where the Greek get the word Gehenna. Hinnom was this valley south of Jerusalem where some Israelites in the Old Testament sacrificed their children by fire to the pagan god Molech. God punished Israel and cursed the valley and it became what we would think of as a fiery landfill. And in this fiery landfill, this fiery cursed place was full of cursed useless things. It was full of corpses of criminals, corpses of dead animals, sewage, and of course, all of the city trash. Now this was a visual that people would have been familiar with. Jesus is saying it's not just those who murder who are liable to judgment, but it's the angry. It's those who insult. It's those who call people a fool. They'll be liable to the hell of fire. They'll be liable to go to this cursed place and be cursed forever. It's rich and vivid imagery that people would have been familiar with. Jesus says, you're liable. This is the standard that Jesus sets. The standard is more than just don't kill someone. The standard is don't even be angry. The standard is don't insult someone. The standard is don't call anyone fool. Now, maybe you're like, well, I've never told someone, I insult you. Or maybe I've never said, you fool. Because that's what they say in the movies, right? You fool. But maybe for you, it's been something more along the lines of, I said no. Why can't you just understand? Or maybe it's, <laughs> are you really that stupid? Maybe it's, sorry if you don't like how I said it, it's just who I am. Maybe it's, now that, that girl, she's just an idiot. I don't listen to anything she says. Maybe it's, can you believe this guy? All of those insults. Rakah, moros. We're doing exactly what Jesus has told us not to do. Murder equals judgment. Anger equals judgment. Insult equals judgment. Now, is Jesus really that serious? Is being angry with someone and insulting someone, does that make us just as guilty as a murderer? Is Jesus really that serious about it? He gives us two examples to show us just how serious he is. The first example is the scene in the community. The scene in the community. He says this, so, so is the same thing as like, therefore, so based upon everything I just taught, based upon you now knowing that murder equals judgment, anger equals judgment, insult fool equals judgment, because of those things, if you are offering your gift at the altar, now we don't oftentimes, I've, I've never actually gone to an altar, um, maybe you have, 
Um, I've never walked up to the altar to sacrifice anything. I've never walked up to the altar and given my gift. But the Jews in the audience, they would have understood exactly the reference Jesus is making because for their festivals, their feasts, they would oftentimes bring a gift to their altar or when they'd sin, they'd go to the temple and they'd remember their sin and they'd sacrifice and they would bring their gift to the altar. Again, rich and vivid imagery, these people would have understood. If you are bringing your gift to the altar, your sacrifice, your gift for the Lord, And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If you're bringing your gift to the Lord, if you are coming to worship the Lord, and while you're doing this, remember that someone's angry at you Stop what you're doing and go make it right. How serious is Jesus about these things? How serious is Jesus about insulting and calling people foolish and being angry with them? He's so serious about it that he says, if you've come to worship me and recognize that your brother or sister has something against you because of something you have said or you have done, I don't want your worship. Go reconcile, make it right, and then come back and worship. You know, we're more likely to just conceal our transgression rather than confess them, aren't we? If we've done something wrong, well, we're more likely to point the finger than accept the blame and accept the thing that we've done as being wrong. We end up saying things like, well, they deserved it, or it's really not that big of a deal, or you don't understand the full picture. You haven't seen what they've done to me. You know, all of those things might be true. Maybe they did deserve it. Maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. And you're probably right. I don't fully understand the situation or the things that they've done to you. But what Jesus asks us to do here, he says, if you're coming to worship me, if you're coming to offer your gift, and remember that some, someone has something against you, stop. Go make it right. Then come back and worship. He gives us another example, another illustration. The situation in the court This is the final example he gives us, the situation in the court. Jesus says this, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The situation he gives us is we're, we're, we're literally on our way to the court to settle up something, probably some type of financial discrepancy because of the last thing Jesus says, until you have paid the last, last penny. Maybe someone's um, given me a loan that I haven't repaid and they have this against me and Jesus says, if you're going to the court because you haven't paid this guy back, you better do something to settle up quick. Okay, because once you get to court and he hands you over to the judge, the judge is gonna do what he wants. And then once the judge gives you over to the guard, he or she is going to do what they want. And then once you're in prison, you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. And here's the deal. If you're in prison and you owe someone money, you can't pay them back because you don't have a job and you will never get out of prison. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, come to terms quickly before it's too late. Come to terms quickly before it's too late. And I, I wish Jesus, Jesus would kind of fill us in on what that means a bit more because what does that mean before it's too late? 
Come to terms quickly before it's too late. Maybe it's Jesus comes back. At that point, it's too late for me to right the wrongs I've done with other people. Maybe it's someone moves away and they screen my phone calls and I'm no longer able to talk to them. Now it's too late. Or maybe it's our family relationship has become so fractured and so distant that no one talks to each other and now it's too late. Maybe I've said something rude and hurtful. Maybe I've been angry towards someone and then God has called them home and now I can't go and confess and apologize and make it right. Now it's too late. Jesus tells us just how serious he is. If you're offering your gift, if you're offering your worship and remember that someone has something against you, go make it right. Then come back and worship. If you're on your way to the court and and you better settle up quickly because it might just be too late. If we've wronged someone, here's what God asks of us believers. If we've wronged someone, we do what's right. We go to them, we repent, we confess, we reconcile, and then we come back and offer our gift to the Lord. The fifth point I wanna close with this morning is the question we must ask. The question we must ask is this, will I give life or take life with the words that I speak to others? Will I give life or will I take life with the words I speak to others? Because that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, hey, you can be a murderer without actually ever killing anyone. You're angry with them in the heart. You've already killed them. If you curse them, if you insult them, if you mock them, if you call them fool, you're murdering the image of God. And we too are liable for judgment. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it, in other words, those who do much talking, will eat its fruits. They will reap the consequences. I'm sure you've heard that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not true. Not true. God says here, our, our words... Our words take life. Our words have the power of death. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Parents, are you building up your kids? Are you speaking life over your children? Husbands and wives, are you encouraging your spouse Are you speaking life into them or taking life away from them? Are you speaking life into your friends? Are you speaking life into your family? Are you speaking life over your workplace? Or are you acting as a murderer out of anger and insult? Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings Healing. Friends, the tongue is a mighty, mighty thing. We have the power to take life. We have power to give life. We have power to hurt and we have power to heal. May we be a people here at Highlands Church who use our words to the benefit and the encouragement of others. In a context, and especially in today's world with all of our political junk going on where everyone is so quick to speak, quick to anger, slow to hear, would our words be seasoned with salt? Would our words be like a light 
shining in the dark. Now this may seem like an impossible task. Psalm 141 verse three says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think we can be the people and use the speech God has asked us to be by God's help and by God's help alone. This has been my prayer this week, that God would set a guard over my mouth, that he would keep watch over the door of my lips, that when something um, maybe unsanctified rises up from my heart and is about to protrude from my lips, I've asked the Lord, God, would you just shut it up? Shut me down. If it's not of you, I don't want to say it. If it speaks life, if it speaks encouragement, if it helps and heals, then let it be so. If it doesn't do those things, I don't even want those words to be on my lips. The old command, don't murder. I think a lot of you have that covered. The new code, don't be angry in your heart and don't attack with your words. Have you been angry? Have you been insulting? Have you made someone else angry? Have you refused to go and make it right? If you answer yes to any of those questions, then Jesus says, your righteousness has not exceeded that of the Pharisees and you too are liable to judgment, just like the people in our world that we think are perfect. God has done something amazing for us. The scriptures say that he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, I can have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. The thing is, it's just not a righteousness of my own. It's nothing I say, it's nothing I do, it's everything that he has said and everything that he has done. He came here to live the perfect life that you and I sometimes try to live and can't live. He came here to be truly righteous. He came here to die the death that you and I deserve to die. The Bible's clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There, there's no exception to this. The author of Romans even says that your righteous deeds, the good things that you do, they're like filthy rags. The things you think about of your life that are righteous, God says, doesn't even come close. Maybe you need to get right with God this morning because you've recognized man. I've missed it. I look at Matthew 5, 21 through 26 and realize that I too, just like the Pharisees, I am guilty. Would you come to Jesus this morning? Would you confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. Would you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then enter into a new relationship with Christ and because of that, be saved? You can do that this morning. And I'm not gonna lead you through the whole thing here, but what I'd ask you, if that's you, if you realize this morning, I need to get right with God, I'd ask you to come down front after service. We're gonna have our prayer team down here. I'll be down here. Some of the pastors will be down here. Uh, we'd love to pray with you and we'd love to help you find a relationship with you. Do you need to get right with God? Some of you this morning need to get right with a person. You need to get right with a person. Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, if you've insulted someone, if you've called someone fool, if you've angered someone, he says, if you've come to bring your gift, if you've come to worship, and while you've come to worship, realize, remember that someone has something against you. Stop. Leave it there. Go make it right. And then come back and worship again. You know, some of you might have noticed we sang 
five songs up front. Typically, we sing five songs in the entire service. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you because the fact of the matter is if we went back to worship, it would cause some of you to sin. Some of you this morning, you've come to offer your gift. You've come to give God your worship, your praise. Give him the glory. And even just while we've been talking about it, God has put someone on your mind or someone on your heart and you're realizing even now, I've got to go make that right. For some of you, that's terrifying. For most of us, it probably is. That was years ago I said that. That was years ago I did that. God is gracious. God is forgiving. If you need some encouragement, if you need some help, again, our prayer team is gonna be here down front. I'll be here. Some of our pastors will be here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to encourage you and send you out on your way to go and reconcile as God has asked us to reconcile. Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. God, I ask this morning that you would help us remember any wrongs that we've committed towards others. And God, we don't do this so we can live in the past and constantly beat ourselves up with the sins that we've committed, but God, we ask it so we can go make it right. God, we ask that you give us the courage to confess our sins to those around us. God, that we would confess the wrongs that we've done, that we'd repent of those, and in doing so, that we'd find the grace and forgiveness that people have to offer. God, I also ask that you'd give people the grace to forgive that you'd help them forgive. God, you don't give us an unforgiveness clause. God, you've told us if someone comes and repents seven times, forgive them seven times. So God, we ask that the people, that some of our church this morning or tomorrow or some point this week will go and confess to, God, we ask that you would give them the grace, the kindness, the forgiveness to say, I forgive you. God, that we would find relationships restored. God, I ask that we'd see families reconciled. God, that we'd see marriages mended. God, I bet even this morning on the way into church or on the way getting ready for church, some parent uttered a harsh word to their children. God, this morning, would we make it right? Would we go to them and say, would you forgive me? What I said was wrong. And God, I ask that you'd help us speak life to those around us. God, I do ask that we would be a beacon of hope in today's day and age, God, that we would speak life, that we would speak light, that we would be like salt in an unsalty word, God, that people would hear the things that we say and because they hear the way that we speak, whether it's the gospel or just the love we have for one another, God, that people would see that, that they'd be drawn to that and because of it, they would praise you, our Father in heaven. God, this is hard. We ask for your help this week in speaking life into others and also trying to reconcile and make right the things that we've done wrong. God, we give our lives to you. We give our week to you. We give this day to you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, hey, we love you guys. We know for some of you this is really hard. Um, We ask for God's peace over your life, for grace in the hearts of people you might go speak to this week, but we, we hope and pray that this would be a healing thing, that it'd be good for you and it'd be good for the people in your life. Love each other. Speak life to those around you. We love you guys. See you next week.